You're listening to the Ecological Podcast, all about our positive partnerships with horses and other animals through work and play. Your hosts are Rebecca Bayliss from Little Green Stables and Kate Blackmore from Ecological Positive Partnerships. So with us today, we have the fabulous Heather Moffat, and Heather Moffat has, well, masses of experience in classical dressage riding. She's written several books, but she's also um, has designed and has saddles, her own saddle line. Now, I ride my horses in her saddles. I've got lots of clients who ride in her saddles, and I wouldn't ride in anything else. So we had a question from one of our Patreons about Heather's saddles because she'd never, ever heard of them. And we thought right. it would be a really good idea to get Heather on board to record a podcast so Heather can tell us about her, her history with horses, but also how she, what made her design the saddles and why her saddles are special and different to everybody else's. So welcome, Heather. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Becky, sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm actually in the simulator room at the moment and I've got some of the saddles in here so I can probably even show people um, on the podcast if I can sort of uh, get move it around a bit. Um, but yeah, I've been riding since I was seven years old. Um, my father had a driving pony before that and I showed no interest. I was very musical and mm. my parents sent me to a music school that passed a friend's stables. And of course, I stopped and started to talk to the ponies and everything. And he then said, would I like to ride? And of course, that was it. Mm. So I often wonder if my parents had sent me to the music school at the other end of the local town, um, whether I'd have ever got into horses. So yeah. it sometimes takes a hand. But yeah, and then... I, um, when I married, I moved to Northern Ireland and um, I, I already had a little riding school before I um, married at only 20. And then we came back to England when I was 23, I think, and my late husband and I started up a big equestrian centre on the Essex-Suffolk borders um, at Tiptree near Colchester. And then, sadly, um, he became very ill and uh, we lost him. And I moved down to Devon to be with my parents. and. Uh, so I started all over again, really. Mm. And I wanted, I'd already seen, I, I watched Nuno Oliveira ride at the Horse of the Year show when I was 13 years old. And I knew that was how I wanted to ride. And I couldn't find anybody in England that would teach anything other than the typical BHS style of riding. And I'd done the BHS AI um, course and everything myself. But I wanted something that had more art in it. Mm. And so anyway, I... Uh, Captain Desilleron, who was the Belgian ex-airline um, pilot who moved to Devon. Um, actually, I went to see him before I even moved down here. And <laughs> he was the most irascible old toad you could imagine. <laughs> um, I remember staying with my parents and ringing him and saying, I'd like some dressage lessons, please, Captain Laurent. Um, I do not teach the dressage, I teach the classical equitation, he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'll have some of that then. Um, so <laughs> anyway, I sort of, my father took me um, right up to, when you got up to his um, farm on top of Dartmoor, you realised why it was called the Crow's Nest. Um, of course, he called it much more sort of, uh, uh, he called it after uh, De La Guerriniere, the, the great classical master of the 1600s. So, um, so there I went and his indoor school was 30 feet by 90 feet. So it was just Ooh. like a um a, a converted barn and uh well, 
it was the most bizarre experience because he walked into this converted barn on top of Dartmoor and he was suddenly in this little baroque palace it had a huge crystal chandelier either end and the walls were all um, rendered and wow. there were drawings uh, or paintings of from the Duke of Newcastle's um, uh, book from again many centuries ago which a Dutch artist had done sort of on the walls and I sort of walked in there pinching myself basically to see if I was actually still awake and uh, and so he put me on a, on a horse on the lunge no stirrups no reins and the horse proceeded to take off with me whilst he sort of yelled at me don't grip don't grip and I thought well if I don't I'm going to fly off against these concrete block walls in here uh, but anyway finally he sort of came back to a much more manageable trot and I'd felt myself slipping out the side door and of course we were always taught to turn our shoulders so that we were parallel with the horse's shoulders etc etc and believe me the centrifugal force on a 10 meter circle is quite excessive and at that speed in particular. And Desi said, advance inside hip. And I thought, what on earth? And then over the next few days, he started to teach me a whole load of stuff that was complete opposite to everything I'd ever learned. And then when I went home to, of course, our equestrian center, we'd got, I don't know, 28 horses or ponies at the time, of which in those days I was a lot slimmer and um, was able to ride with even the smaller ones in, in comparison. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to take me years to retrain all these horses. Oh, no. Every single horse responded. And that mm -hmm. was the thing that impressed me so much, was that it was like they all said, oh, thank God she's learned at last. <laughs> and so I think, what was I? I know, 27, 28 then, I think. And so I started to, when I first moved down here, um, Desi came to stay here for about six months at a time. And uh, when I think back to it, I don't know how I put up with him as long as I did. <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, he, he was not the most complimentary of people, I can tell you. I, I, he's the only trainer I've ever hit over the head with a dressage whip. He did have a funny look. <laughs> so um, I'm not normally given to violence. But no, the thing that uh, Desi was a brilliant, in all honesty, he wasn't a great horse trainer. He'd been trained extensively by Nuno Oliveira himself. But I didn't feel when I knew sort of other things after training with him, he perhaps wasn't as good a trainer as a, a horse trainer as I'd hoped, but he was a very, very good rider trainer. And for me, riding, the riding itself, of course, is the basics of everything in, train, in training. And so, you know, I'm eternally grateful to him because he taught me the subtlety of the weight aids, particularly the subtlety of the hands. You know, we'd been taught to saw the horses head down to get it on the bit, you know, and, mm. uh, you know, I mean, if you pulled back half an inch, practically, I mean, I'm sure, I swear he had a periscope in his hat, so he could actually see when you were behind him. <laughs> and if you pulled back an inch, you had to buy him a drink down the pub. And at British pub crises, you soon learn not to keep him too inebriated. <laughs> so, um, but after Desi sort of went back to, he was in France then at the time, because he'd moved from, um, from the, uh, the uh, Dartmoor place. And um, he, uh, and so I was, I started to do courses here and I hadn't got the simulators then. Um, I'd got real horses and I do apologize. My very large cat has just arrived and he's probably gonna jump on my lap and he won't see anything and knock it off. Animals welcome. Yeah, <laughs> name's Cassius, he's big and black. Um, but anyway, uh, I realized, you know, when I started doing the, the training with, with my own horses here again, um, and I was taking three day residential courses for people, 
and uh, I, I realized, you know, and I, what I've actually realized even back in Essex was when I rode past the mirrors in my indoor school, I still wasn't exactly in the ear, shoulder, hip, heel line of balance. And so for me, it was just like, well, what's going on here? And then I was riding past one day in good German dressage saddles like Stuben I had and, and uh, Lemitex. And I'd quit my stirrups. And as I went past the mirror, I realized that the stirrup better was hanging in front of my thigh when I was in the correct ear, shoulder, hip, heel line. And I thought, hang on a minute these stirrup bars are way too far forward, which is why you always hear instructors saying lower leg back, lower leg back, lower leg back. And at the time, Lucinda Green had just brought out a dressage saddle with, of all things, hydrophane. And it had um, adjustable stirrup bars on it, which a guy called Peter Pellew had invented. And his, his stirrup bars were called Wellep, which was Pellew the other way around. And and I thought, oh my goodness, this has got to be the answer to having the stirrup bars further back. So at the time, and I was, I was still back in Essex then, and I, I was in the, the kiln saddlery in, in Laotola Hay in Essex, owned by David Merritt, who was then the three-day event, one of the three-day event um, British teams uh, uh, selectors. And, and I said to David, I'm talking, you know, looking at designing a dressage saddle. And he said, well, actually, we're just looking to design a new one for, for the kiln saddlery so I designed one we called the kiln concept it was the first one we had with the well up adjustable bars on and oh wow I couldn't believe the difference it made when you know for not just for me but for anybody that you could just literally go plop straight into the ear shoulder hip heel line mm. and then when I moved down here I worked with um, Treed Saddlery Company in Paynton but he's a Walsall guy who moved down here but there were certain things he wouldn't do that I wanted to improve on. So I went to Ideal Saddlery up in Walsall and they still weren't doing some of the things that I wanted done. So I went to Barry Swain, um, who was, he made Desi Laurent look like a, a little white mouse, to be honest, when um, <laughs> he, he was one of the most difficult men to deal with. You could ever imagine a brilliant saddler. And, uh, and but the only thing was with Barry, he wouldn't, he didn't trust um, Society of Master Saddles fitted uh, saddle fitters, and it made it very difficult to get saddles fitted in all parts of the country, which is why I went down the treeless route as much as anything else, because I'd had a Barnsby treeless saddle when I was a kid, and you could pl plop it on any of the ponies, and it it was fine. But um, I did a, a, a part treat saddle with Barry, but I wanted, again, he didn't want to go down the route that I went down. And at the time, my then business partner, Pete Ward, we were having the, the seat bone savers made uh, by a company up in Suffolk, which uh, was the lovely old family of sheepskin and leather clothing manufacturers that actually made Del Boy sheepskin coats. So that was mm -hmm. their main thing to fame, but they were very good. Like 200 <laughs> years in the same um, family but they had never made a, a three-dimensional object like a saddle before and so um, I went up to see them and Tom who was the wonderful factory manager there and his sister Sebi who was one of the, um, the main machinists up there uh, brought Tom when I presented him with a prototype that a friend of mine had sort of not had knocked up for me she uh, his eyebrows sort of went up to here and never came back down again for about two hours but he was the sort of guy that presented with a challenge he had to rise to it and I mean it took probably about a year I think before we had one that we could bring to the market and then of course we brought the uh, 
was called the Fletcher SBS saddle, which was the first one. And unfortunately, I had a very unfortunate um, uh, lawsuit in America by a company over there that tried to make out that I was infringing their patent. Mm. And the thing was, I'd seen their patent, um, I, my, my own lawyer, um, and I um, sort of went through it with a fine tooth comb. And there is absolutely no way that I was infringing it. They wanted me off the market. Mm. And was they were coming after me not only in america but here through the high court here they they um two of their partners were corporate lawyers so it didn't, wasn't costing them an awful lot but you know i mean we were flying first of all with the fletcher sbs but of course i had to take it off the market on my lawyer's advice and even back in the day in 2005 you were talking about um like 400 pounds an hour for a, a patent lawyer i mean it broke me completely mm. um, so I'm made of sort of um, Viking and Celtic blood. So I fought it and basically I couldn't afford to fight it in America. Um, but they were coming after me here, as I said. And I was my solicitor, Jill, who's a very good friend of mine and uh, or another horsewoman. And I was going through their um, American patent history and came across this old patent, which was almost theirs to an exact T. And I said, Jill, oh, my God, this, this patent is exactly their patent. And it's 130 years old. We could wipe them off the market with this. And then when we went to their English patent and the, the European patent, it was deliberately with, um, not in there because they knew our patent examiners are much more um, diligent than, than the American ones. So my patent lawyer got onto their patent lawyer and said, look, we know this is fraudulent misconduct here at the patent office. And, you know, you better drop this this case here and they dropped it like a hot brick um. but then um i had to sign a, a court order in america that i would never sell another saddle there again of any variety oh. but i knew so i was so angry that i put put a whole load of stuff on my website on the on the home page measure of righteous indignation nothing nasty you know it was all factual and the American public bombarded them with emails. They boycotted their products. They were absolutely brilliant. And so within a couple of months, I, uh, I got my American patent lawyers to send them a, um, a letter to say that it was called, a, what was it called? Um, a declaration of intent to put the saddle back on the market because I'd slightly altered it, but for the better actually, as it happened. And, uh, and I think they'd had enough of me by then. Um, <laughs> and so they completely backed off. We never had another thing. So my saddles went back on the market over there. You don't trifle with me and, and get away with it. You know, they <laughs> thought that they were going to do it. But, you know, I'm, I'm a fighter. Probably why I'm in Facebook jail again for 30 days. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's the second time in the last six weeks. But never mind. <laughs> So, but the thing is, don't stand up for what you believe in. Um, you don't, you know, to me, it's the, the way I was brought up. And so, you know, that's what I do. But, you know, then the saddles, sort of the ones that I did, the, um, the Flexion SBS became the Phoenix, which rose from the ashes of the other one. Um, and that became the Vogue, uh, which is the, the sort of one that we've been doing now for the last few years and is still, I have to say, it's still my own favourite because it spoils your bum completely. Um, but then I was approached by a young Indian guy. Um, oh God, must be must be 14 years ago now. And because I'm a member of the British Equestrian Trade Association, and he contacted me through Beta, 
And he said, you know, I really love a job in England. You know, I've, I've trained in salary, but also in marketing. And I thought, well, I'm only a one woman band here. There's no way that I could um, offer him a job in, in England. And so, but we kept in touch. You know, he seemed such a nice, polite young man. Um, and then a couple of years later, he sent me a whole load of bridal samples. And I opened up the box expecting a sort of hefty pong of Indian leather to rise up. But instead, it was a beautiful sort of smell of best Sedgwick's bridal butt. And I looked at these saddle or these bridles and thought, wow, these are fantastic quality, every bit as good as the bridles that were being made for me by a very, very well-known Walsall make. And so and then I said to him, I really wanted to make a saddle with a leather tree, which, to be honest, was exactly what was in this old American patent. And uh, so it would look even more like a normal saddle. So he, he got some saddles working for him at the time, but you know, it took a long time because my parents, I was looking after my father and, and stepmother until the end. And so I couldn't go to India. So we were doing everything by Skype and which wasn't very easy as you can imagine, because it's improved a lot now with the video quality and everything, but mm. how the heck we did it, I don't know. But anyway, we got them on the market and uh, then sort of started to improve them, started to improve them, and it kept going on. And I've now been working, Rish, Rish started his own company, Horsecraft in, in India. Um, but in the end, I also um, sent out Steve Sturgis, who's not far from you in Taunton. I know Steve. Um, <laughs> he did one of my saddles. Well, Steve's an old mate from Warsaw. And of course, when he moved down here, I didn't even realise he'd moved down here, actually. And so I sent him packing off to India to, to train our guys over there. And um, it's a good job he likes curry because I don't. Uh, <laughs> and so Steve was over there, and I think what surprised him when he walked in, he was expecting sort of almost dreading going because I think he thought he was going to walk into some sort of sweatshop. Mm. And I got um, a, a text from him actually saying it's like a bloody laboratory in here. He said you could do you could do operations. And, and he was so impressed with the workshops and the way that the guys were treated and the ladies who did the bridles and everything. Um, and, you know, that to me was very important because there's no way that I would ever make, have anything made in a country whereby or in a, in a workshop where people were being abused or, or exploited. And so, you know, Rish became a good friend. He, he would come over here to stay. My parents used to call him their Indian grandson. <laughs> and uh, then he got married and Rena's been over as well and we're still working together all these years later and I mean the saddles haven't been so we haven't up updated or upgraded them now for about the last it's about four years now and you know we've had some really lovely feedback from people and uh, you know we just altered the model slightly I've just done a more forward cut one for a GP one for jumping um, and then we did the little children's um, treeless saddle which we called paddle which it was called it was that called that because it's sort of a cross between a pad and a saddle um so we called it the pad hyphen dle um and that's proving very 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 good with you know typical flat back na native ponies and it's perfectly okay for showing etc but the beauty of this, all of the saddles is that even a complete beginner will just go plop straight into the issue mm. i think that is for me because i ride and i've ridden for a long time but i'm not I wouldn't say I'm the best rider in the world. And I think they make, firstly, they're extremely comfortable. And secondly, yeah. they do just put you in. The, when I first transitioned into one of your saddles, I thought I bruised my hips. Yeah, I got yeah. off um, yeah. 
after a long ride and the next day I was like there's something wrong with my hips there's something wrong with my hips and then my grandmother would have said you you wouldn't stop a pig in a passage the next day (laughs) (laughs) and then I realized it was just because I'd been sitting in the wrong position for forever and interestingly I'd go out with rides with my friends and they would be gosh you sit really nicely and they'd never said that before never said it so I must have looked at horrendous but they really noticed so what your saddles are well known for being super comfortable so what sets them against everybody else tell us you know why why obviously the stirrup bars but let's go into detail about what makes them so good of course it's what we call a soft tree which we developed over the years so the, the whole top is formed from um, memory foam, which is compression cut on a, a computer water jet to actually form the actual whole sort of um, seat. And then you've got layers of various pressure and shock absorbing materials underneath that that make up what we call a soft tree so that you've got no um, strain on going across the back on the stirrup bars, for instance. They are, there is webbing goes across the back, but it's not, it's not weight bearing. It's just there purely as a, as a safety measure if anybody does anything stupid, um, like sort of managed to get the stirrup caught on a, on a gate hook, which has happened before now, and, and pulled mm-hmm. the whole stirrup bar off. Um, and that can happen even with a tree saddle, though, you can crack the tree. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so, you know, the actual seat of even the, the flexes and the finales is designed to, so that the rider's seat bones are cushioned um, correctly um instead because the trouble is so many um saddles particularly ones with narrow twist which they're okay generally for men but female pelvis is wider than than male pelvis and so of course you end up as i ended up you see why the reason i have made the seat bones over in the first place was because i ended up with um versatile enlargements on my seat bones the size of um, near golf balls mm. and uh, and so I couldn't ride for about six months. And of course, I was a professional rider and trainer and I couldn't ride at all. I, it was hard enough to even sit in an armchair comfortably. Mm. And so that was why I designed the seat bone saver when I found the memory foam, which was when it very, very first came out. And uh, it was developed for um, NASA in, for um, pilot seats in, 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 um, in the, uh, on the space, um, what, what have you, the, the, the shuttle. And uh, so... And from then on, I thought, well, actually, you know, the seat bone saver, we can build that into the saddle, which was the ideal thing, which is what basically we've done with the Vogue and all the previous ones, the ones made here. The ones in India are not, they haven't got that. They've got something what we call, that we call EVA cushion in the seat. So again, they are still very comfortable and they're wide enough across the twist that you can actually sit on it without damaging your seat bones. You know, because so many people end up with sore seat bones when they try to sit in the ear, shoulder, hip, heel line, which is why they push their butt to the back of the saddle, which then puts them in the chair seat, of course. And so that, you know, it, it's very simple. You just make the seat actually wider in, in the right place for your seat bones and, and have the stirrup bars further back. And there you go. It, it works every time. And, you know, it makes such a difference to complete beginners who are completely behind the movement in rising trot with the stirrup bars too far forward. And, you know, I can teach a complete beginner on the simulators or whatnot. You would never know they've never, well, there's some of Rish actually on, on YouTube when he first came over here to, from India and he'd literally never been on a, a simulator. He'd never been on a horse. He'd never even been near a real horse in particular. And on my old YouTube channel, there's still some video of him. And then I put him on one of my Lusitanos the following day on the lunch. And he went straight off, even went off on the right diagonal in rising trot. 
And you'd look at him and not think that this, I think, what was he, 26 then, um, this young man had never been on a horse before. And I've done that time and again. And, you know, if you, it, it's a bit like giving a golfer a set of clubs with the handles all bent and wondering why they can't hit the ball, you know. And but even now I get people saying or other trainers have said to me, but you cheat, you make a saddle that makes it easy for the rider. And you think, what? Well, why wouldn't I? You know, because the thing is, if the rider's wriggling around in discomfort or trying to retain their balance all the time, it's making the horse have to constantly shift his balance and uncomfortable for him as well. And so that's the that's the main reason I designed the saddles. And um, yes, so you talked a lot about for the rider, it puts them in the right position, which I totally mm. agree. I've also ridden in your saddles, and, mm. and I really like them. Um, but also, you know, there are benefits for the horse as well, isn't there? Because Absolutely. if you have got that rider that's sat back, you know, in that armchair position, oh, going, that movement on the back, you know, it does. Where the simulators are really so useful because every time somebody comes for a lesson when they first come here i get them to put their hand under the back of the saddle um and right i ride it then and i'm and i show them how much difference the pressure is on the back of the saddle when i do it incorrectly and when mm -hmm. i do it particularly in rising trot but i mean i'm literally pushing down on my stirrups and hanging onto a balance strap on the front of the saddle and i'm doing it wrongly to make sure i don't actually crush their fingers but they can really feel they can't even feel me virtually right sitting down in the saddle in the sit phase of rising trot when I'm doing it correctly yeah. and so that's been a huge benefit as well as actually having the simulators to be able to show people because it's very graphic um but the thing is for the horse because you've got no on the on the uh, the flexi you've got and, and the finale you've got the uh you've got a, an interchangeable gullet plate in the front, but for the really wide, 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 flattest ones, we can take the gullet plate out altogether. I mean, we've dealt with lots of cobs that are not joking. When they send the wither pattern through, it looks like somebody's drawn around a very large dustbin lid. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is just literally like that. And so, you know, that's the beauty of these saddles. You can use them without the gullet plate or the Vogue hasn't got one. But either of them, the, the Flexi and the Finale, haven't got, uh, they've only got leather points. So you've got nothing that is actually restricting the shoulder movement, particularly in lateral work. And with the, the Flexi, with the Vogue as well, there's literally nothing to, to restrict it there whatsoever. And the beauty of it too, when the horse is really using his back and basculing, it's, it's moving with him like that. You get a, particularly a lot of the very deep tree saddles and you know i'm not against treed saddles at all if they're correctly made correctly fitted and correctly refitted you know i i would never say no to somebody if, if i if i didn't like the way that the horse was going in one of my saddles and it went better in a treat a fully treed saddle then i'd say get a fully treed saddle you know i'm not absolutely 100 makes me very cross actually because a lot of treed saddles say oh treeless saddles load of rubbish and everything mm. i don't saddles and i don't expect them to rubbish mine but yeah. at the end of the day you know you, you take the rough with the smooth but with um you know it's it means that the horse has got complete freedom to move underneath you and even jumping you know with a, um, a deep saddle when the back's doing that you've got a small bearing surface when the horse is jumping for instance whereas with mine it will do that with the horse's back and so it may it, it you know we've had some really lovely um testimonials from people saying they can't believe the difference in the way their horse is going or jumping mm -hmm. or in dressage or what have you 
And so for me, it's got to be holistic. You've got to look at it from both angles, from both rider and horse's position, because you want your horse to be comfortable. But if you're not comfortable, you're going to make your horse uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, and even now, I still feel, you know, that enough saddlers and, and saddle fitters don't pay enough attention. But many of them don't have the um, ex- ex- expertise from being able to see what what a rider is doing and this is we do we hired the appliance pressure testing system um the german appliance pressure testing system which is about twenty thousand quid um and it was two thousand pounds just to hire it in 2005 and we did we actually did um testing of both treed and treeless saddles right across the board and we had it for a month and unfortunately, the one thing it didn't do at the time was to store the moving pressure patterns. It only stored um, at the end of that month. It was all we could keep was the actual um, graph type one, but not the ones that were you, you actually could put on the, on a computer and, and watch it watch it on, in real time on, on the screen. And but it was really useful exercise because the worst pressure that we came across was bad riders in any saddle, and. It didn't matter even, I mean, it was mitigated a lot better if you put them in a, a saddle that helped them sit in the correct position. But if they're driving with the seat, for instance, it's shunting points down into the horse's shoulders, it's pushing down, particularly in canter, it's pushing down against the horse's back that's trying to do that and they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many things, but saddles, treed saddles with recessed stirrup bars were the ones that we found created the worst pressure points because the the bars are recessed to stop the stirrup bar, uh, stirrup buckles, um, stirrup leather buckles sticking in the rider's thigh. And so I know Barry with other makes of saddles, Barry Swain, he used to get a screwdriver and pull them out so that they couldn't stick so much into the horse. But that's the one thing that we found. And the other thing, fairly logically, was bareback. That was the worst pressure of all. But it makes mm. sense. Yeah. You know, when you have anything mitigating between you and, and the horse. Um, it's it really is is something that um, you know does make sense. So mm-hmm. you know, lots of people you know like to ride bareback. But I know when um, there were some tests, some some studies done, and there were a couple of dead spots on the horse's back where riders' seat bones had been. You know, the nerves were no longer really working there because it had been deadened over time. So you know, I think to ride bareback is good, but not to do it all the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is another reason why, you know, I to be honest, all the other treeless saddles that we, including the one in America, we tested that as well and gave it a good write-up, even though they were trying to take my entire home off. They could have taken my farm away from me even, because my dad had already turned the farm over to me. And so um, but in in the spirit of fairness, we did them as well. And uh, you know, it was uh, as it happened, the president of that company happened to be English, and he they all split up after this all happened and he came back to England and I heard he hadn't been for the lawsuit so I actually rang him and said were you and he said no I wasn't and so mm. when I was lecturing at the Equitana in Germany the following year we actually met up and had lunch and to me that's how it should be you know all's fair in competition if it is fair competition you know mm. agreed I, I hope you paid Helen <laughs> sorry I hope you paid no, uh, I can't remember. I think I think we were both guests of something or other, anyway. So he might have, but but no. I mean, you know, we 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 you know we became perfectly you know good friends afterwards, regardless of what happened. Um, I'm not sure I'd have been quite so magnanimous if I had lost a farm, but uh, 
at the end of the day it was um, that's you know finding that old patent was was the secret you know so uh, and tell us about your simulators because and, and also about your saddle fitters because i have um one of your saddle fitters that comes out who's also um trained with riding with you so she's an yeah. um equitation yes um yeah. and yeah. and so that's really so good, good because i've bought saddles in the past from saddle fitters who clearly don't ride horses and wouldn't actually yeah. know what to look for when they're ridden so i really like the fact that um jenny who i use is also yeah. an instructor um yeah. which has been trained Very under good. you so mm -hmm. she she's a saddle fitter but then of course she she's able to help me yeah. with my position so have a tell us a little bit about that and the training and, and then your simulators and how you use them um, Catherine Morris, who is the, um, she's the development officer of the Society of Master Saddles, uh, Saddlers rather, she, um, she does a saddle fitting training and she's very good, Catherine. She trained with the, oh God, I can't think of the name of it now, it's another, another group in Holland as well that they were doing saddle fitting courses, very, very um, in depth. And so Catherine does that for, for our um, saddle fitters, which obviously is much, much easier to fit our saddles than it is to fit a, a treed saddle because apart from anything else you know being flexible the trees they can't bridge you know mm. you'll get a lot of treed saddles if the horse has got a slightly dippy back or something if it's not the right shape then you could literally put your hand underneath the mm. middle of the saddle and with these it can't happen and so the vogue in particular because it's so much more flexible is really good on horses with sway backs for instance and we only did one last week with them incredibly you know really really dipped back from birth you know some horses are born like that and there's still perfectly sound to ride really enough um and so you know yeah i mean not all of our fitters are um enlightened deputation teachers as well but you know they've they've always got me to ask my advice and they can send me videos or photographs or anything as well because if they feel that somebody needs some help with their position then i'm more than happy to give it to them i do quite mm -hmm. a lot of distance fitting myself um through emails um photographs videos i just had ladies two ladies this week wanting vogues and so they sent me a whole load of, of video and two very nice cobs actually one really forward going the other not very forward going and i could immediately see why it wasn't going forward mm -hmm. because far too upright and rising trot for instance and so i immediately said to her look you know this is your problem and so off she went and tried it and couldn't believe the difference, you know, came back mm. from the school and said, oh, my goodness, you, I can't believe that, you know, you, I'm buying a saddle from you, you're teaching me to ride. Um, <laughs> but to me, that's part and parcel of it, you know, because if you, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're looking at, how can you really sell somebody a saddle? Mm. You know, I mean, it's very important that people understand that the balance of the rider has to be in that ear, shoulder, hip, heel line for the horse's benefit, not just for their benefit, but it makes everything so much easier to apply um, much more succinct and, and aids. Oh, here we go. Cat's just arrived. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so you've got simulators there. How many have you got? Four. Do you want me to show you them? Yeah, yeah. Let's have a I look don't at know them. If, how can you how can you actually can you turn it round like you can with oh Cassius, do you mind? He's going to knock everything off now. Um, I don't know if you can, can you do it the other way around so you're not doing the selfie? Yeah, I'm not sure. Are you on a laptop? No, I'm on a, a tablet, actually. I'm oh, um, no, uh, not quite sure. I'm, I'm half afraid of doing something to 
I don't know. Uh, it says more here. No, disconnect. Definitely don't want to disconnect audio. Well, if I just turn it round. Yeah, turn it round and have, we'll have a let's look. Let's just see if you can. Oh, yeah, I can see. I can yeah. see. Like if I step back a bit. I was hoping that we'd be able to turn, you know, that I could do like a, a reverse selfie. <laughs> can you see them? Yes, I can see them. Yeah, there's the Vogue down there, of course, but there are four simulators there. And uh, so two of them, whoops, two of them are uh, are, uh, are motorized. They're, they're walk and trot ones. And then the other two are purely rider powered. So, and the beauty about those is if you actually get it wrong, they won't go. And so, but uh, they were made for me by a friend of mine, um, Jonathan Broadenhays up in Cheshire. And then the new one, this, this one closest to us now, we're actually making those in Holland with one of my enlightened deputation teachers, um, Fiona Mylinks, uh, other half and her dad over there. And so we've been selling those and they're really, really very useful machines because apart from anything else, they don't need any electricity. So you could, you know, you can take them anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and they do a lot more than you would expect them to because you can, you can actually teach um, people to feel their diagonals. You can teach them um, to, uh, to do, for instance, e even more advanced movements like Piaf and Passage and whatnot, the actual, what you do with your seat to, to, and to encourage that. And you can even sort of simulate flying change. Um, so there's loads and loads of things you can do with them that you wouldn't expect to. And the nice thing too is if the rider is pushing down with the seat in Kanto, you're often taught to polish the saddle. Um, and of course, as I said, that's pushing down against the back that's trying to come up. Um, and uh, and so and if you do that on these, it just stops dead. And if you're behind the movement in rising trot and two upright and coming down heavily on the back of the saddle, stop dead. And so it's very useful because it really can show people how much it affects the horse. And so, uh, are you doing lessons there on these simulators? Sorry. Are you doing lessons with those simulators? Yeah, um, I'm, I've started doing them again. It just depends on whether Boris locks us all down again or what have you. But uh, normally I do residential courses, two day courses. And uh, the only thing is because I moved out of, I sold my, um, my, my home, my parents' home 30 years on the farm, um, which was nearly 3000 square feet. And I had it all done up after they died in 2015. And um, and so it's way too big for one person. So, of course, I had a huge move in, in March, you know, after 30 years. And I had uh, was let down by a, a couple in, in October and they'd been together for 11 years. And she left him on the Sunday before we were due to exchange on the Wednesday afterwards. And so, of course, I'd already let some furniture go and everything. It's been a manic year. But at the moment, I'm in a, I've gone from just on 3000 square feet to a 300 square foot caravan. Uh, um, static caravan until I've got um, I'm hoping to get planning permission to take a barn down here in the yard and build a smaller house um, so, so I'm still here on the farm but of course you know it used to be good because having a very large house it meant I could take students in there but I also use bed and breakfast when dad and Pam were still alive father and stepmother um, we've got lots of local bed and breakfast obviously being in Devon and yes, yeah. very good ones and so um so yeah, I, I will go back to doing it, but I'm waiting till July the 19th really to see 
what comes out of that um, and uh, you know sort of take it take it from there yeah it's a great experience for I've, I've had a couple of um, lessons on a simulator not with you but with uh, yeah. Felicity Mann and her yeah. simulating horse is called Eric and I yeah. actually I actually stroked him and said thank you afterwards which was a little bit bizarre <laughs> number of people that pat them and say you know they oh you know oh, oh, oh I'm patting machine or simulator <laughs> It shows you nicely your horse, doesn't it? So uh, I would love to go up. Well, maybe we should come down, down and have a come, come on down. We could do a podcast from from here. Yeah, you know, we we can it. It. you'd be very welcome to. Yeah, yes, you can. So you're only up the road anyway. So I, yeah, I actually be great. My yard manager Kay and I did a, uh, a lecture demo for the Conquest Centre about must be about eight years ago now. So yeah. um, you, yeah. So I think you liked in particular Dylan, that was our back riding horse at yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was great. Yeah, um, he was. He, he was a he was a, a really special horse. But yes, yeah, so I was talking to my colleagues, and uh, and I know it was just before I started there. So yeah, um, I I unfortunately missed you, but um, yeah. A lot of my colleagues you know and they were the ones that have introduced me to your saddles and stuff so it's really oh, lovely right. to kind of meet you face to face yeah. it's fantastic now i'm really well, aware of time well kind yeah. of face to face i'm really <laughs> aware of time and um, so we're gonna uh, stop here and then go on to our patreon questions if Absolutely. that's okay with you if you'd like to make contact with either kate or myself you can contact us via Facebook, we are Little Green Stables or Ecological Positive Partnerships, or you can check me out, Becky, on my website, www.littlegreenstables.com. We'd really like to make our podcast interactive, so if you have any questions or anything you'd like us to discuss, then that would be great. So send us a message, either via our website or via our Facebook, Instagram and YouTube channels. Thanks. Bye-bye.